reading is from Acts chapter 22, uh, starting at verse 22 and going all the way through to 23 verse 11. So it's on page 1119 in the Bibles. <clears throat> Acts chapter 22, starting at verse 22. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, You dare to insult God's high priest. Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ruth. Can you hear me if I put this on here, or do I need to hold it? How's that? No, that's not good. Is that good? Good? Yeah? Okay. No? First time anyone's had to make it higher for me. That's amazing. Great. Okay. Thank you, Ruth. 
Um, hi, my name's Freya. If we haven't met, this is my second week here, so don't feel bad if you don't recognize me. Um, we are in Acts 22, but before we go there, uh, we've been talking on a Sunday morning about Jesus uh, being the one who comes uh, to seek and save the lost and bring them back to the Father. Um, and then on Sunday evening, Jono was talking to us about the manner in which we go on that mission. So how do we engage with people in a way that brings them to the Father without having to say, you have to change first before you can come and encounter Jesus? And uh, if that sounds a little bit intimidating or complicated to you, um, I have really good news because somebody who was really good at this kind of mission was Paul. And we have a long example here, um, and I'm just going to frame it in the kind of form of a few practical questions that we can ask ourselves as we go on this mission. So instead of being like, his really poetic language about seeking and saving the lost and never talking about how we do that, here are some questions that you can ask yourself along the way. And um, I'm actually going to start, although we're starting in verse 22... That, uh, it starts with, the crowd listened to Paul until he said this, but we don't find out what this is. So I'm just going to take you back and explain to you what this is. So we're in Acts. The Christian church is growing. Um, people are being added to it everywhere. It's spreading um, across the region. It's causing controversy wherever it goes. So if you were here last week, you will have heard how um, it was foolishness to the Ephesians and there was a big riot. Uh, and this week, it's become a stumbling block in Jerusalem. So Paul's going around doing these incredibly uh, offensive things, like taking Gentiles into the temple. Um, and a crowd has stirred up to beat him and kill him. And then uh, because of the disturbance, the Roman soldiers get involved, and they're kind of dragging him this way, and the crowd's dragging him this way. And it says they're physically having to carry him to try and get him into the barracks, and everyone's shouting. Um, and Paul says to the Roman soldier in Greek, is it okay if I address the crowd? And they let him. Um, and he gives this amazing and incredibly coherent testimony about his conversion. So what God has done in his life, the moment on the road to Damascus that Jesus appeared to him and everything that has happened after. Um, which kind of leads me really neatly Onto my first question, which is, are we ready with an account of what God has done in our lives? Not saying it has to be like a rehearsed thing, um, but are we ready to tell people what Jesus has done for us? Secondly, this testimony is given in Aramaic, and he uses images to the crowd that are very familiar to anyone who's of Jewish faith, okay? So he's giving a defense of his Jewishness. He's telling them, I'm not a traitor to Israel. I'm not here to cause trouble. Uh, I am a devout Jew. I studied under Gamaliel. I saw God in this bright light. I was blinded and then healed. Um, there's faithful, um, well-respected Jews who can vouch for me. So that's my second question. Are we speaking to people in a language that they understand? And I don't just mean if they're Aramaic, are we speaking Aramaic? I mean, are we using images and experiences and a tone that they will understand and not using all this kind of Christian jargon at them? Okay, so our passage actually starts here in verse 22, 
where it all kind of kicks off. So the crowd's been listening to this amazing testimony, and they're kind of going along with it, and it says they're quiet. Um, and then Paul says uh, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that Jesus has sent him to the Gentiles. And it says the crowd listened to Paul up until this point, then they start shouting uh, for his death, and they start taking their cloaks off ready to stone him. This leads me on to my third question. What are the things uh, that cause us to stop listening and start shouting? So what are the kind of elements of our tradition or our culture that are so kind of um, precious to us that we can't see when God is doing something new? What are the things uh, that just turn us off people straight away and the conversation just ends there? Okay, so they're shouting, blah, blah, blah. They're going to kill him. Where are we up to? Great. So um, the Roman soldiers are uh, taking Paul in to be flogged and questioned. And it's at this point where he very casually brings up the fact that he's a Roman citizen and therefore can't be flogged without trial, can't be imprisoned without trial. Now, it's really interesting because you'll find Paul in Acts often bringing this up at these convenient moments. Uh, But he had a chance to do it in Acts 22 when he was asked where he was from and he chose not to because at that point it would have been for personal gain, whereas at this point it's for the sake of the gospel because otherwise they're going to kill him and the gospel won't advance. And so what are our social privileges or cultural privileges or education um, or resources or talents, anything positive about who we are, how do we use them for the sake of the gospel and not for personal gain? That's my next question. And then, this is a very fast-moving story. So the Roman commander gets a bit um, worried about this whole political situation of uh, Paul being Jewish and a Roman citizen, and he sends him off to the Sanhedrin, similar to the story of Jesus, okay? So he's like, oh, I don't want this to be my problem, and he sends him uh, to the Sanhedrin. And it says that Paul looks them right in the eyes, and he claims that to preach Christ, to preach the resurrection is loyalty to the God of Israel, is loyalty to the God of their ancestors. This is not him trying to start a new religion. This is him um, true to his conscience, true to what he believes God has said to him. And when he was speaking to to the Jewish crowd earlier, he said to them, I am a Jew. And when he uh, was being carried away by the soldiers, he said, I am a Roman citizen. And now, in front of the Sanhedrin, he says, I am a Pharisee. So think about that letter to the Corinthians where he says, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. So he's very adaptive to his situation. He's very pragmatic, and he identifies with these different audiences but he doesn't compromise loyalty to Christ. So how do we identify with the different uh, people we're bringing the gospel to and still uh, save our ultimate loyalty for Christ? He doesn't uh, pretend that the Sanhedrin have got it right, even though he says he's a Pharisee. In fact, he um, sets the cat among the pigeons by talking about the resurrection, and he knows that this will cause argument among them. He knows how controversial this is. And he knows uh, that it's probably going to cost him. It says, once again, the commotion gets so bad that it gets violent and they're going to tear him apart. So do we count the cost of giving 
ultimate loyalty to Christ? Will we too stand firm in the face of the ruling empire or the ruling culture and hold to the truth of the resurrection, the real resurrection of the dead? So, Paul uh, ends up in prison. Um, Hopefully, we won't end up in prison for um, being missionary. But I would say that uh, this is, in some ways, quite helpful because he's taken out of all this tumult and violence and argument and he's put on his own at the end of the day in a dark place to be alone. And I think um, a really important part of our going out is that when we come in, we take some time, we withdraw, we reflect. So what went well? What went badly? How could we um, have been more living in that such situation? How can we um, find better language? How can we find new creative ways of reaching people? And it's as Paul is alone in the barracks, probably thinking, I can't tell if that day went well or really badly, um, that Jesus comes and stands near to him. And he confirms his call to the Gentiles. He says he's sending him to Rome. He suggests that his experience there will be much like it's been in Jerusalem, so more persecution, more difficulty. But he also says, take courage. So my last question is, maybe more like three questions. So will we persevere so that God will entrust us with the next thing, with the more difficult thing, with the next challenge? And will we wait on him for courage and for perseverance and for confirmation of our call? Will you pray for us, Johnny?